If you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn to First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to be verses 10 through 20. And we are nearing the end of this series of what is God's will for me. We've been going each week looking through what's God's will for you, or, or a question you might ask, what is God's will for me in this area? And so one area that we're going to look at today is what is God's will for your money? Now, this is one of those sermons. There are every once in a while a sermon that I don't like preaching. They're not sermons that I enjoy preaching. You know one of the, the most common things I hear about pastors that's a negative thing from people outside the church? All they want is your money. And so you hear that, you grow up hearing that, you don't want to talk about what God's will for your money is. And, and if you've been here for a while, you've been here most of the time, this is the first time we've talked about this in the over year and a half that I've been here, coming up on two years in October. So what is God's will for your money? We have to talk about it. Because as many people have said in the world, as money makes the world go round, something that is so important and so prevalent in each of our lives, we have to know what God's will is for this thing, for, for money in our lives. And, and we're going to look again, we, we talked about King David last week, we're going to look at the end of his life in First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 20. We're going to be seeing the end of his life and the preparations for building the temple and how he and the others gave in the situation, how his attitude toward God and toward money are shown in this passage, and how a lot of those things are carried on into the New Testament. So one of, one of the things to think about here is King David has lived a long life at this point where he has served God. He, uh, he really came into public life through his interaction with Goliath and slaying Goliath, and then later became the king of Israel and, and had some, some slip-ups along the way. We talked about that last week, but we see how he is, is following God, how he is uh, pursuing him, and becomes called a man after God's own heart. But one thing happens here. He's not allowed to build God's temple because he's a man of war. He's got blood on his hands. And so he says, this is not for you to build, but it's going to be built by your son, Solomon. And so this is the point of his life. And really, as you look at this passage, uh, King Solomon is, is made king at the end of this chapter. It's the very last chapter in the book. And so we're seeing David's preparations as we get into this. So let's read 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 20. Then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, May you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty, for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand. And it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give, thanks to, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you. And we have given only what comes from your own hand. For we are aliens and temporary residents in your presence, as were all our ancestors. Our days are on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this wealth that we've provided for building you a house for your holy, holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you are pleased with what is right. 
I have willingly given all these things with an upright heart and now have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep this desire forever in the thoughts of the hearts of your people and confirm their hearts toward you. Give my son Solomon an undivided heart to keep and carry out all your commands, your decrees, and your statutes, and to build the building for which I have made provision. Then David said to the whole assembly, Blessed be the Lord your God. So the whole assembly praised the Lord of God, the God of their ancestors. They knelt low and paid homage to the Lord and the King. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can come together. We can look at your word. We can look at what it says to us. We can see the example set before us by King David and the people of Israel. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what your will for our lives is, what your will for how we spend the money that you've blessed us with is. God, I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. To give a little bit of context to this, as we look back and we, we, we see David talking about these gifts that have been given. And so what we see is that David provided from, his, from, from himself 100 tons, tons of gold and 250 tons of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the building. So here's what we see. Him setting this example, bringing first from his own riches that he's gotten as king of Israel, 100 tons of gold, 250 tons of silver. We see the people who are leaders and wealthy within the kingdom following up and giving even more than that to the construction of this temple. Setting this example, we see the people joyfully and willfully giving. And so as we look at what David has said here, his prayer, what he's talked about, we have to see first, the, the, the first thing we're going to notice about this is that understanding what God's will for our money is comes with a recognition of who God is. The first thing David says is he recognizes who God is. So we have to have a recognition of who God is. Nothing about faith in God will make sense to you unless you have a correct and proper understanding of who God is. Why would it make sense that we ought to give our money to support God's kingdom, to support the work of the gospel, unless we understand who it is we're serving? I, I remember hearing some, some funny stories of, of, of an author walking into a, a bookstore, maybe a, a, a movie director walking into like a coffee shop, and they overhear some people discussing some theories about the book that they've written. And they go, well, I, I can tell you a little bit of something about that. And the people kind of brush them off. And they, they kind of tweet about this later and say, well, I guess they weren't interested in knowing the answer to their question. Because they didn't know that the one that they, that they brushed off was the one who had written the thing they're talking about. So when we think about God and who he is, we have to understand that we're not just dealing with some abstract concept or some abstract thing. We're dealing with our creator. We're dealing with the Lord of the universe. And so let's go through and talk about some of the things that David says about who God is. Maybe you be blessed from eternity to eternity. God is eternal. Something that's hard to understand. He has no beginning and he has no end. God is. He is eternal. He is not bound by time as we are. He is not limited in the ways that we are limited. He is eternal. He is omniscient, om omnipresent. He has no beginning and no end. He, as, as we see in Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who has created. God is great and powerful. 
We see this evidenced through his work, through his creation. The fact that we exist at all is a testimony to the greatness and power of God. That anything that God seeks to accomplish is accomplished. There is not any person that could stand in opposition to his plans. He is great and powerful. There is nothing that our God cannot do. So he's eternal, he's powerful and great. It also talks about how he is glorious, splendorous, and majestic. We see this evidenced most clearly in many ways through the things that we interact with that he has created. Understand that. We understand how magnificent God is, how splendorous God is, how majestic he is, only, most tangibly by the things he's created. So the work of his hands at oftentimes is majestic and splendorous and glorious. And through that, we get a, a shadow of how glorious and majestic and powerful the one who made it is. When I graduated from high school, I got to go on a, on a road trip. We went 7,000 miles across the United States in, in my friend's parents' suburban, four 18-year-olds. How crazy are they, right? That suburban is still running today, and it's still being used, and it looks really good still. Anyway, we went 7,000 miles. Our first stop was Denver, Colorado, okay? And so we went uh, to, to all around, went through all the state parks. We camped everywhere. We did all these things, uh, couch surfed on a few people's houses. We knew where they lived. And, and so one of the, the, my favorite place that I went was Yosemite National Park. Has anybody been to Yosemite? It's beautiful there. Now, going down into Yosemite, my friend Caleb did burn the brakes up. Because if you know, going into Yosemite, it is switchback after switchback, downhill, downhill, and you can't just ride the brakes. It's not going to work. But it's beautiful. Mountains, beautiful trees, streams, rivers, waterfalls. And we went on a hike one day while we were there. And my friends are a little crazier than I am. That's actually, I heard at least one parent tell me the only reason that their son was going was because I was going. And he knew that I, they knew that I would not let them hurt themselves. And so they were going on ahead uh, because they had heard rumor of a, a kind of swimming hole that you could jump off rocks into. And, but it wasn't like an official place to go and do this. It was just kind of off the path. I didn't like that idea. So I, I kind of just like, you guys go ahead. I'll be right here. There was this place where I went off the path, and you could sit on these massive rocks, huge boulders, and, and you could look up and you could see this beautiful waterfall. And I have a picture that you can see right now. I took this picture while I was sitting there. There's water kind of crashing through, like a river running through those rocks. And I'm just kind of sitting out. I had my Bible with me. And I started reading a little bit in God's Word. And, and there's not a place I don't think that I've ever been where I understood the majesty, the glorious, majestic splendor of the one who created this place. You couldn't hear anything, only the roar of the water crashing down. And it's beautiful. And then I remember, and I, and I was captivated by the idea and the realization that God who made this is even more glorious, even more majestic, even more splendorous than what I'm experiencing in his, in, in his creation. The most beautiful thing you've witnessed, the most awe-inspiring moment you've encountered pales in comparison to the God who made it, to the God who created it. So he's eternal, he's powerful, he's glorious, splendorous, majestic, and he is the rightful owner of all things in the heavens and on earth. You know, there's kind of a, a, a funny thing that, you know, happens when you go to, to high school and you see people kind of rolling into the parking lot. And you can tell a lot of things by the cars that people drive into the parking lot. 
And, and every once in a while, every school has this, where somebody's coming in with a really nice new car. And, you know, and, and there's kind of a phrase people use, that's, that's daddy's money, right? They didn't purchase that themselves. Now, maybe, maybe it's a gift to them. Maybe they get to enjoy it. Maybe they get to use it. But that was not from them. And ultimately, probably until they're an adult, that's not their vehicle. Anything we have in this life, anything that exists in this world is property of and owned by God, the one who created it. Anything we think or presume to own is not really ours, but belongs to God, the one who's richly blessed us, had mercy and grace, and allowed us to own these things. All things in his creation belong to God. They're his. And he allows us to be stewards of them, to take care of them, to, to own in our way these things, but they really and truly belong to God. But not only is he the owner of these things, he is the ruler of all things. He is in charge of and rules over his creation. And, and the Bible is very clear that he tolerates for a time. He's patient with us as we wander, as we sin, as we don't seek him but he is the ruler of all things and he is a righteous judge. And he is worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise. We sang that this morning, right? Worthy of praise. It's, it's so funny to me how we as people are very quick and it's easy for us to praise the things that happen in this world that are worthy of praise, but the most worthy one of praise is God. And for some reason, sometimes that does not come naturally to us. You know, unfortunately, I've been a Reds fan for a good portion of my life. But right now, the Reds are doing really good. And you know what I've seen all over Facebook and all over social media? The Reds are good. I'm going to pull this hat out of, the, out of the, the dusty closet and dust it off and put it on because now I can be proud to be a Reds fan. I can praise them. Look, they went on a 12-game winning streak. It broke yesterday. But we praise them. We, we, we lift these things up. We celebrate but the one that is truly worthy of our praise is God, who, who created us, who loves us, who through Christ, not even understood fully by David yet, seen, not realized by David yet, who gave himself for us so that we could be reconciled for him, with him, so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could have relationship with him. And because of that, he is worthy of praise because he loves us. He's merciful. He makes a way for us to have relationship with him. So he's worthy of our praise. And here's the hard part about this. This is an ego check for all of us today. God doesn't need you. God does not need me. David's predecessor found this the hard way. King Saul, the tallest Hebrew of Hebrews, a, a, a foot taller than everyone else, good-looking, admired by everybody, Besides, he's not going to listen to God. You know what God does? You're out. It's only by God's mercy that David remains in the position he remains in. But it's as David prepares to build the, build the temple, I want to build your temple. Now, you're a warrior. You're not going to build my temple. God does not need me. He does not need you. God is not subject to us. This is a hard thing for us to understand, but it is essential that we remember and know this, that God can and will do what he wills with or without us. You know, today's, it, it, I love how God works in these things. Today we looked at Esther in Sunday school. 
And, and we kind of went off books a little bit, and we looked at some of the passages around what was prescribed to read. And, and what Mordecai, we called him good guy Mordecai, what he said to Esther was this. Whether you will do this or not, the Jews will be delivered one way or another. That's a, that's a paraphrase. God is going to do what God's going to do with or without you. And he goes on to say this, but perhaps you've been placed in your position for such a time as this. And so what Mordecai is saying, God's going to do it. He's going to protect his people. He's going to keep his promises with or without you. But he allows you to participate if you will follow him in obedience. And, and so what I want you to understand here, you know, we're, we're 15 minutes into this sermon about God's will for your money. We haven't talked about money one time. Here's what I want you to understand. The God who we serve is so great that we have to remember that if we want to understand and subject what often becomes many people in this world's God. Many people in this world, they worship money as their God. And the only way that you're going to lay down this false idol and give it willingly and generously in support of the kingdom is if you understand the one who is greater than that idol. If you truly understand it is who you worship, you understand that he doesn't need you, that even if you're disobedient and you hoard and you're, you're greedy with everything he's blessed you with, he's going to accomplish his purposes. But if you understand who God is and you will submit yourself to him, we understand and we recognize whose money it is. We have to recognize whose money it is that we've been blessed with. All good things come from God. Everything that you wake up and you're thankful for, you should be thankful to God for that thing. And it's easy to, to at times think and be like, well, I worked hard for what I have. You did. But God blessed you with the days and the ability and the time to do those things. Everything we have has been gifted to us by God. In this passage, it makes that very clear. He bestows riches honor, and power. And it says very clearly that the things they're giving back to him come from his hand and they are really his to begin with. David is acknowledging that the hundred tons of gold he gives, the 250 tons, understand that tons, I don't know about you, but I was a little sticker shocked when I realized that how much these little gold rings cost. Tons. He's giving. Why? God gave it and it's his. So he's willingly give it to building his temple, to building his kingdom. Everything that they have, everything they give comes from God's hand. And so they give it back willingly and freely. So the money that we have, the things we've been blessed with are his and they remain his, whether we're obedient with them or not. And so this is where we get to the point of we have to recognize what faithful stewardship look like, looks like. We have to have a recognition of faithful stewardship in our lives. We have to have a recognition of what it means to live with and use and operate with money in a way that honors and glorifies God. So you have to faithfully manage the money that God has given you. That's the first part. You have money. You have things in life that that money needs to be used for. Use it in a way that glorifies God. Everything you do should honor God in the way that you use your money. So to do this, we think of some practical, biblical money advice. There's a lot of things throughout Scripture that talk about money. 
One of the first things you need to be sure of is that you are righteously earning the money that you have. There's a lot of people that are really wealthy in this world that did not get wealthy in an honest way. And they may enjoy that wealth, they may enjoy those things, but one day they'll be accountable to God for those things. People that that lie, cheat, and steal to uh, gain the money that they have. So you need to avoid in your life ill-gotten gain. And so there's some ways where this gets difficult. Think about where you're investing your money. Are they going to fund things that are, are not in accordance with God's will? Be aware of those things. Ask the people. If, if you have somebody that is managing your retirement, ask them, what is this money going to? We, we set up not too long ago an account for Eliza and Barrett with some money that had been given to, for their co- early starts to their college fund. And I had to talk with that. Listen, there are things we don't want this money being invested in, even if it's more profitable. Avoid ill-gotten gain. And you need to also consider the opportunity cost. When we're talking about earning money. There are people that have let the chasing of money in their life cause them to neglect the other things God has blessed them with. Working overtime every weekend sure adds a couple zeros to that paycheck, maybe. But how does that affect your other responsibilities? How does that affect the things you're supposed to be doing for God? How does that affect your relationship with your, with your spouse or your family? So consider the opportunity cost. Is pursuing something more better than the alternative? The answer sometimes in a, in a season may be yes. Maybe you're in a hard financial state and this will really help you to, to, to bless your family, to get on the right track, to honor God. But, but sometimes the answer is no. Have you ever heard any person talk that has a lot of money? There's a certain point when you're not worried about paying your bills anymore that anything past that doesn't make you any happier. It's very clear that once you are able to care and provide for your family, excess is excess. It's the reason you see a lot of billionaires not happy they have a billion dollars. They want two billion, three billion, more and more. Greed is not satisfied. There is no enough. So don't be greedy. And so not just how you earn money needs to be faithful, but how are you managing the money that God has given you? Avoid spending your money in ways and on things that do not honor God. If this money that we have is God's, we need to spend it in ways that honor Him. We need to understand the difference between wants and needs. There are a lot of things that we consume our life with that we need to have, we need to have, and really they are wants. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the money God has blessed us with. That's very clear in Scripture that we're able to enjoy the blessings of God, but not in a way that prevents us from stewarding it faithfully. And another thing, if you've ever listened or heard from Dave Ramsey all of your life, you need to avoid debt. The Bible says this in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. It does not honor God for his people to be indebted constantly to other people. Now, there are situations in places where you can wisely, maybe a mortgage, these types of things, but if, if, you, if you don't really have any money because you've indebted yourself so much to other people, you've made yourself a slave to those you owe money to. So be wise in those ways. So we come to the last thing we're going to talk about today, and that's giving. Because in this passage, we see that David 
is giving. The people of God are giving. How are we as Christians, and understand that, that we're talking, if you have been saved, if you are in relationship with God, how does God want you to give? And the first thing is you remember why you give. That is why I started with understanding and remembering who God is. Because you're not going to have a heart that is going to generously give and willingly give unless you remember the one you're giving it for, giving it to. So generously give what God has blessed you with. And so, so what is the attitude that a giver should have? How should we approach giving? The first thing we know in Scripture is that our giving should come from the first fruits of what we have. God is not a leftovers. If you, if you remember talking about who we're talking about, you give to God first. When we see oftentimes when people are, when, when God is not happy with what people have brought, you think about Cain and Abel. He was satisfied with Abel. He was not satisfied with Cain. And, and much of the presumption is that Cain's gift was brought from a right and a pure heart, from the first fruits, and then Abel's, or Cain's was an afterthought. Be a cheerful giver, excitedly giving what you give, not under compulsion or not reluctantly. Because you remember that you're giving to advance the kingdom of God. You're building, you're giving to build his kingdom. They're giving to build a temple. We are giving when we do to, to be obedient to him and for the purpose of the expansion of the kingdom of God, the proclamation of the gospel. And so what does this look like? And if you've grown up in church for any period of time at all, you've, you've heard this idea of tithing. Now, is tithing something that Christians have to do? Well, here's the thing. You don't have to do anything in the sense of that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He accomplished your salvation. But when you have been regenerated, when you have been saved, you are in a relationship. You're a new creation. And so now you walk in obedience to him. So what does that look like with your giving? Tithing, the word tithe, from the word it comes from in Hebrew, literally means a tenth. And so in the idea being that if you are a person, a Christian that tithes, you give a tenth of your income supporting the work of God through the local church. Now, is that idea biblical? We see in the Old Testament the idea of tithing talked about a lot. And if you really look at it closely, there are a couple tithes that people give. And if you look at it in the most close way, it's really 23 and a third percent that the people give. Now, you have to understand that they are also operating in the, uh, as Israel being their kingdom. So in many ways, it's almost a, how we have taxes, they are having more tithes than we would have. But what we do see in the New Testament is this is not re-emphasized as being the tithe being something you do. Now, Jesus does mention that his people should tithe and give their gifts. But here's the question. Here's the real situation. What David gave was not a tithe. That was not a tenth of of what he had. That was a lot more. And so when we look at the Bible's perspective on how we should give, it is to be generous, it is to be from the first fruits, and it is to be for the advancement of the kingdom of God. It is to be willingly, joyfully, not under compulsion. And so when you interact with how you give, those should be the things guiding you. And if you're a person, you're like, I don't know where that should be. I do think the tithe is a good place to look at 
and to shoot for, the idea of tithing. I think that is a, a biblical thing in the Old Testament that can be a good standard for the Christian today. But here's the reality. There are times when for a person to tithe would be sinful for them, where it is not enough. And there are times where a person is coming with all of their obedience and all of their place, and they can't quite make 10%. I think God honors those who cannot come to a tithe. And I think that God does not honor the tithe of a person who's being greedy with their money. Because I think for some people, 10% may not be what is generously given. Now, I think that's very wealthy people we're talking about. Uh, I, I think it was John Wesley that when he started his ministry, he figured out what he could live on. And so everything beyond that he gave. And there came a time in his ministry where he had a lot more than that. And still he lived on what he needed and he gave. And so what my challenge to, to me and to us is, is that as we look at our life, as we look at the money that God has blessed with us, blessed us with, as we look at how we serve him, one of the ways we have to be sure we're being obedient and is how we steward the money he's blessed us with and how we earn it and how we spend it and how we do all of this and how we give it. And here's the thing. It's, it's echoed in, in, in it's, 1 Chronicles 29 is echoed in, in, in 2 Corinthians 9. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. The promise of God is that obedience is rewarded. Now, hear me very clearly. We're not talking about the prosperity gospel. There are people that are blatantly seeking to deceive people that will say, if you sow a seed of $1,000 today, God will give it back to you 10 times over. It's not what I'm talking about. But when you faithfully seek Him, when you faithfully give, even when you don't want to because you're acknowledging that you want to serve God and you realize this is a place you need to be obedient, cheerfully, not under compulsion, you give, God honors that. And he makes sure that you are provided for. The Bible tells you very clearly, don't be anxious. Doesn't the Lord care for these sparrows? Won't he care for you? In Malachi 3, 7 through 12, he, he really goes after, God is going after the people because they're not giving to him. And he actually challenges them in this passage. In, in this part, he's talking about tithing because it's the Old Testament. He says, Give the full tithe and, and test me. Won't you see that I won't give it back to you? Open the blessings of heaven. And so one of the things I think that can cause people to, to not want to give and to serve God is fear of what will happen because then that's the money they don't have. It's, it's hard to let go of things. But we realize it's God's in the first place and he promises to care for and love those who take care of him. And I'll be honest with you. There was a time in my life, early on in my life, where it was hard for me to give. It was, it was hard not just because a lot of times when I, it, it was hard. But as I became more faithful in giving, let me promise you something, I never missed it. It, it, ne it never, it, I never missed it. But what I want to challenge you with today, more than this, 
is to make sure that you remember the ultimate blessing that God has given. That when we are, are contemplating what we want to give or hold back, we, we can remember that God did not hold anything back from us, but willingly gave his son so that we could be made right with him. He laid down his life so that sinners could be forgiven, so that sinners could be brought back to him. He paid a debt that we could never pay so that we could have relationship with him. And today, as we're talking about these things, the thing I want to mention to you for, first and foremost is that if you do not have a relationship with God, if you've not made him your Lord and Savior, forget about what you need to give. Be thankful for the one who has given all for you. Run to him. Embrace this gift of salvation. Admit your sin. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave himself for you and was raised again. And confess him as your Lord and Savior. Because God has richly and freely lavished every blessing upon us. And because of that, we should seek to be obedient to Him in all things, even when it's hard. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. What I want to invite you to do is to consider where you are at with this in your life. Are you being obedient to God in what you should do? And I'll tell you this, I, don't, I seek not to know what people give because I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you give. I don't want to know what the other person gives because I want to, to pastor you and minister to you without any regard to those things. But what I will challenge you with as your pastor is that if you refuse to acknowledge that God wants you to, to, to serve him, that, that's an area of disobedience in your life. Just like he wants you to share the gospel, just like he, there are so many things we need to be obedient in and this is one of them. But more than that, if you're a person that does not know Jesus today, you've not made that public, you've not followed in baptism, you've not joined the church to be in community, I would challenge you, wherever you're at, to seek to be obedient to him today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you just be with us today? I pray that you would just challenge each and every one of us in our hearts to be faithful to you whatever that may mean. God, I pray that if anyone does not know you, if anyone has a step that you're calling them to take today, I pray that you would move in their hearts, that they would be obedient to you, willingly with joy, Lord. I pray that if there's any way that we're not being obedient to you in our lives in the regards to money, Lord, that I pray that you would convict us of that and that we would serve you and be good stewards of what you've blessed us with. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.